Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today we're talking all things automated valuation models, AVMs. Now that might sound like a little bit of a dry topic, but we're talking about those instant estimates that you get on properties when you're on your realestate.com, on your domains. And we're chatting today with Nigel Watts, who's a buyer's agent from Neva Property, about his insights into those models, where they can be really helpful and where they can also go wrong. And he shares some awesome case studies that I think you need to be aware of if you are looking at purchasing a property for its appropriate value. No one likes overpaying and underpaying is certainly achievable in certain markets, but you've got to understand where the real true value lies. And to help us navigate that world, here's Nigel. Nigel Watts, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thank you, Mike. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here today. To I'm looking forward to this topic uh, specifically because we're, we're talking five reasons why people shouldn't rely on the automated valuations that we see. And uh, it, it wasn't that long ago that you go to realestate.com or domain and sometimes you'd see an estimate, sometimes you wouldn't, but now they're absolutely everywhere. And we were sort of talking about uh, off air, the merits of this technology. And before we sort of, we might like speak a little, we will criticize, but it's actually pretty amazing gear, right? It is. It absolutely is. And you're right. There is a lot more of them out there now. Um, they are impressive. And, and yes, whilst we will shortly criticize and talk about the limitations, they've definitely got some amazing benefits. Um, that's for sure. Um, I, I use them every day. Um, a lot of property professionals and Everyday buyers use them all the time, so there's certainly lots of benefits there. Mm. There's a pretty famous ad by one of the big four banks, we probably won't mention, where they were sort of walking around a home and then the agent was saying to, to, to a prospective buyer and they were sort of eavesdropping, oh, we think it's going to go between, you know, 1 and 1.1 and then they get this ping on the app and it goes, oh, we actually know that it's going to be 1.3 to 1.35, you know, thanks automated app from my trusted banking advisor. I mean, that sounds, that all seems very lovely in theory that you've got this secret weapon to sort of give you the real knowledge of what's going to happen. But this is kind of aggregated data. And yes, there's all sorts of things like hedonic indexes and there's past sales on the property and they know how many square meters they can tell which way it's facing. But, the trouble with big data is it's maybe great at doing something across the macro population, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty of the individual property, for me, that's where it falls down. How, how do you see it, Nigel? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, the other thing too that's relevant is this. If, and I was actually at a, um, a conference a few months back where the person presenting the conference suggested people use these systems to work out what to pay for a property. And but, but if you've got five people all using the same system, they're all going to get the same number. So it's just, yeah, it, 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 that doesn't work from that perspective. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you're right. It, it, that's where it falls down is the individual property. And I've got some case studies where I can talk through shortly. Um, and, and, you know, data can only do so much. Technology can only do so much. And whilst it's a data and technology these days is amazing and what's behind these automated models is amazing, but where it does fall down is that looking at that individual property, it still can't do what a human can do on the ground by inspecting the property, by understanding what's happening on the street, in the neighbourhood, things like that. 
that's where they they do fall down a bit. And I think um, you, yeah. sorry, Nigel. Yeah, I yeah. think you you reference one of the one of the shortcomings is that yes, let's say you've got five people interested in a property, they all get this same a AVM, um, this automated valuation model. And that, you know what? They're all going to put an offer at that exact same amount, and one of them's going to get it. No, the reality is is that the competition also has an impact on the prices. You know, when we see a story about a property in Sydney, it's always Sydney. You know, selling for six hundred grand over reserve. It's it's not because someone had a different. AVM, it's about competition, and that's something that you, as a as a person and and a buyer's agent, can assess that these models can't, right? That's exactly right. So yeah, when you go along to the the open, obviously as a buyer's agent, you can get a private inspection sometimes ahead of the market. But if you go along to the public inspection, even if you can get a private inspection, I think it's still good to go to the public inspections because you see how many people are there, so you get a that feeling for the for the competition. Um, you hear what people are asking the agents and you hear the agents answers um, you've got to be lurking in the background sometimes to, to get that information mm. um, and you can also stalk out um, some open houses if you've been to it before yourself I do this sometimes just for the next inspection just sit up the road a bit and see how many people go along so you get a feel for the for the competition and also who your competitors are like Investors, as you know, don't want to overpay for the property. And I, I went to an open house on the weekend in Hamilton, beautiful house. It's not an investment property. <laughs> um, it's it's suitable for an owner-occupier. Um, so if you know there's a lot of owner-occupiers and these are the older owner-occupiers, probably with you know, a bit of old money behind them, mm. um, you, you can get a feel for who your competitors are and that might help you make the decision to not bid at all, to move on. And, of course understand that if you are going to bid you're probably going to have to be up up there a bit to, to win the property so yeah mm. that that human element inspecting the property is is massive and and these online tools you know simply can't do that of course mm. it begs but, uh, sorry yeah. uh, it begs the question and this is maybe a little bit of a, of a tangent I, I i interviewed a value at um property investment professionals uh conference in Sydney recently and she was kind of talking about the banks wanting to get to these ridiculous turnaround times in terms of uh, of approvals. So obviously there's not enough time to engage a valuer to go out and do their full due diligence. Now, of course, I think, you know, at a certain LVR, they're going to have to send someone, but perhaps at a low end, they, they might use these automated models. And, and sometimes you see something that's just overvalued right so it might be overvalued from an avm point of view but the market value is less and everybody kind of knows that but i wonder if redrawing equity you then use the advantage of these glitches in these avms i wonder if this is some sort of niche buyer's agent pitch that uh, we, we could set up and take the world by storm it could be yeah and i guess if we, <laughs> we do you probably can't publish this um to the wider audience <laughs> no, it's got flaws, I'll admit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but look, they're wonderful. They're, they're fast. They're available. You can get the AVMs on your, your computer, your mobile phone. Um, so they're convenient. There's mm. yeah, there's free ones. There's paid ones. Or even the paid versions, if you're happy to pay for a report and a, a more advanced or professional valuation, you can get for $50 or whatever, you can get that within minutes. So and they provide you with a bit more data. So there, there's certainly lots of benefits benefits mm. to them um i guess yeah we've touched on a big 
downside to the, that the lack of human element um, and that that's huge um, but other times they they do get yeah they do get the numbers wrong and you know, they they have some disclaimers there that you know, of course and a confidence grade like low medium high confidence mm. um, but one example was a property I looked at for a client recently in um, in Walls End Dangar Street Walls End and it sold when I looked at it um, the price guide was 870 to 930. 12 months prior, it sold for 720. Um, the online portals, the average of the online, oh, sorry, one of the online portals priced it at 670. Right. So 50, <laughs> 50 grand lower than it sold for a year ago, but also it had had at least 100 grand of renovations spent on it. It was, it was an R3 zone you know, um, site. You could put a dual lock on the back. Um, there was no way it was worth six seventy, mm. um, and it stayed at six seventy on that site for a long time. So they they do just get and it sold for nine hundred. We didn't bid on it. It was sort of right next to a noisy road. Um, but yeah, sometimes they just get the numbers wrong, and that's where you really need a, a professional and a buyer's agent or another property professional to help people make sure that they're making an informed decision. Um, mm. So yeah, they I'm just can be accurate. Yeah, absolutely. And and the renovation is the obvious one, right? The robots don't necessarily know what's going on inside the wall. So that's um that's an important point that you made there. I, I just thought to mention anyone that's sort of interested in properties that are selling for, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand dollars, wondering where on earth is Walls End. <laughs> it's sort of a, a western <laughs> suburb of of Newcastle, sort of a a, a blue collar sort of satellite to the to the main city. And yeah, certainly there's some opportunities out out there, but that's another show. Um you mentioned before a couple of case studies. Of course I got very interested in that. You've got one there in, in Walls End, but uh, are there any other sort of variations of 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 that theme that you've known noticed in the data that you think is a real kind of buyer beware situation? Yeah, I guess your yeah, renovation is a big one. Like um, if a property, obviously if a property has, hasn't, has never sold, like it's been in the family for decades, you know, a, mm. an online tool just doesn't have, you know, won't have good data about it, you know. Um, so that's one. Um, and I've mentioned some, some examples there of where, um, that 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 particular one, there was like a two hundred thirty thousand dollar discrepancy there. Um, another case study um, is a property I helped I helped an owner occupier actually buy in in Victoria just a few months back. Mm -hmm. um, now in that particular case, the numbers weren't as big, but they're still it's still relevant. Um, in this particular case, the average of the three main portals was seven hundred and fifty two thousand. Now in under Victorian law, you might no, the real estate agent has to provide three comparable sales, mm -hmm. um, the addresses and what it sold for. The average of those three was seven twenty three. Um, the the compare out of those three comparable sales, I used one of them. I selected others. The two of the ones that the agent used weren't great, yep. inflating the price a bit. Oh, those agents! Um, <laughs> and, and I've developed my own method, which uses comparable sales and sort of technology, which. And we, I estimated the property to be fair value of seven hundred sixteen thousand. Um, so a, a bit of a difference there, and and I put a lot of time into selecting. This is where I think some of the portals get it wrong. Like I think some of the portals use statistical modelling, but also comparable sales and or a combination of both. I don't 
proclaim to know the algorithm exactly. Um, but if you're using comparable sales, which is what I do and a lot of agents do, it's really important to pick the right comparable sales. I think sometimes the portals, they, they automatically pick comparable sales. Um, but if those comparable sales aren't good, the estimate they come back with is going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's where an agent who spends a bit of time making sure you pick good comparables is, is very helpful. That takes a bit of time, um, but it's really important. Um, and we, so I, in that case study, the 716 was what I said to the client, okay, this is what I think is fair value. And to my clients, I say, if you pay over 716, I think you're overpaying. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's, of course, it's their decision. If they want to throw in a bit more, they can. Um, now we went in at, based on the competition, we went in at 710 um, and we won the property. The agent said we were two grand over the next bidder. Um, but yeah, that just shows that that was so seven ten. It was forty two thousand less than the portals. It was yeah twenty grand. Um, I don't know twelve thirteen grand less than what the agents comparables were. But mm. it's still that's still it's not huge money, but it's still um, for people that that means something. And that's yeah. where, where a a real estate professional like a buyer's agent can help someone. Um, you know, provide an independent appraisal without any emotion. Um, working in their interest can provide them with a more more accurate price. It never feels like huge money when we're dealing with real estate, does it? Because it's sort of like, oh, the agent wants another 10 and like, oh, I had another 10. And if you sit down and you think about how long it takes you to make that money, not not just make it, but to have it, right? Because you could make, you know, $2,000 a week, but w- what do you end the week with in your pocket? Probably very little with, you know, cost of living and mortgages and those sorts of things. So you know, I, I think we, we, we risk not being sensitive to the fact that they're actually quite big sums in the rest of your life, right? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Uh, absolutely are. And I think that I think the issue is that, you know, because obviously most people are borrowing the money over 30 years, that an extra 10, 20, 50 grand, so assuming the bank lend, can lend it to you, mm. over that time frame, it doesn't you know, make too much of a difference to their, although does a little bit more these days with interest rates, but it, mm. it's spread out over that 30 years. That's so not as big a hit, but, but yeah, you, you're spot on right. And for an investor, it's more critical than an owner-occupier, of course, with an owner-occupier. If, if you, know, you walk into the house and you love it, it's your dream home, probably prepared to pay more. But an investor, if you throw in an extra 10, even if it's 10, you really should take that off your um, your gains into the future. Um, and that that's that's um, yeah, where an independent appraisal can be can be very beneficial. Yeah. Mm. And um, we did just speak to a guest recently who um, was pre- in a previous life was a, a valuer and they were basically saying, look, it's important to get the valuation right, the comparables right, but at the end of the day, um, are, are you out there trying to get a bargain or are, are you out there trying to buy a property because you can't always have the both, right? So even as a valuer, they're saying, look, sometimes it's worth paying a little bit extra to secure 
this property uh, in the market that it's in, if it's accelerating or if it is your owner-occupied um, property. You know, if you've waited six months and you have to pay a little bit extra, but the risk is that you have to wait another three or four months. But that, that's all very well. But you do sort of want to know to the exact extent are you overpaying, right? Because if you're prepared to overpay, that's that's fine. But in, in that situation where, okay, you overpaid the other offer, but only by two grand, right? And that got the job done. You could have easily gone with some of the other estimates and paid 40 grand and you were like, yay, we got the property, but never known that, you know, $38,000 less would have got the job done as well. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think, yeah, it's it's... As a buyer's agent, obviously, you've, you've got the client's interests at heart and the scenario is very relevant. You, you touched on if someone has been looking for six months and they're at the end of their tether, they might want to get something quickly. And if the market's going up, yeah, you might have to to ideally buy something quickly for them to mm. ease their stress and get them the home. Or sometimes if they're moving locations and have a new job, they might need that property quickly. So sometimes you there's a... Their situation is very important. You might have to overpay a little bit to secure it. Um, so the situation is relevant, whereas I've had a couple of investor clients lately that I've recommended a property to them in the first two weeks and they go, yeah, it looks great, but we, we want to just wait a bit more and look at a few more. Thank you. <laughs> mm. um, and that's, I'm sure if it was an owner-occupier and it was their perfect property and you found it in two weeks, they'd probably say, yep, let's go for it. But yeah, the different, some Different people are different, have different needs, different situation, and that's that's really important to, to take into account. Yeah. It, it's hard for you to say, but um, because, you know, without it sort of seeming biased, like you're wanting to get a deal done, right, because everyone kind of worries about motivations, but to me it just kind of seems like they want to spend some time to realise they probably should have bought that one <laughs> to begin with. Uh, you know, so many times people are waiting for that perfect thing and they realise that they sort of let it go. Anyway. A cautionary tale. Now, you talked about getting the comparables right. Now, um, back in the day, if you had uh, an RP data subscription, I mean, the back in the day being today, um, uh, price finder, you, you could actually go and do these comparative market analysis, these, these CMA reports. And sometimes we hear data about them as kind of a guide to listing intentions or listing activity. They kind of proceed listings. So they come up in the news every now and then. Now, inside the industry, people like yourself and I have access to these, but for a consumer that's just looking at purchasing their own or occupied property or an investment property, how do they get the data on these comparables? Can you find them on the platforms um, or can you ask agents to give you those comparables and then you try and sort of assess how applicable they are to the property? What's your advice around that? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah. The everyday buyer can get comparables themselves on the main portals. They can just do a, a filter. Like it's, it's based that the reports that, you know, if, if you pay for RP data, the reports, the CMAs that they provide, when it produces the comparables, it's it's basically just automating a filter based on, you know, you know probably land, you know, the type of house, you know, search for a house, a similar land size, similar features, bedrooms, bathrooms in a similar location. So, the everyday buyer could easily just do a search on a domain or realestate.com to find comparables. Mm-hmm. And it's ideal to, to, to find them in the sim, same sort of location, um, ideally the same street. Um, and you want, you want a sort of similar sort of house. You, obviously you don't want to compare a house to a unit, for example. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, ideally same sort of construction and age would be would be ideal. Um, but it, but it all comes down to how many properties have sold lately as well. It's not always that easy. You might have to go back. Sometimes I might go. Ideally, you get them within the last three months. But if it's nothing sold, if it's a tightly held suburb, that's hard. So you might have to go back a bit in time. Um, and what I do in those cases, if you do go back in time, you can look at how the market's moved in that last twelve months, and if, and if it's gone up, you can increase the the value a bit, yep. making like an adjustment. Um, but yeah, the average person, to answer your question, can get those comparables through domain. They just have to search for them themselves. Um, there are portals out there now too that if you type in an address, if you're really keen to buy a property, that will give you a report, which includes comparables. Yep. Um, but of course, it, it comes back a bit to what I said before. It's really important that yeah, an agent who is on the ground um, looking at properties, who understands the street, the neighbourhood, the suburb, is, in my opinion, the best person to provide good comparable sales. Um, in some cases, hopefully they've looked at those houses before, <laughs> so yeah. they know what the renovation standard is like inside. They know, and they can, um, yeah, provide a better um, list of comparable sales. Uh, but that obviously, the average buyer has to pay a buyer's agent or someone to to provide that service. Um, but I think you get a better outcome than than the automated ones myself. Yeah, I'm I'm always an advocate of using uh, buyers agents in in any transaction, but like to sort of come from the viewpoint. Well, if someone's in a position where they don't feel like they can afford them or they're trying to do that themselves, then then how do they do it? How do they sort of wade this this quagmire of comparables? And I suppose if we we contrast the sophistication of your average purchaser purchaser with the sophistication of the selling agent. Um, as much as some of us might say um, we've met plenty unsophisticated uh, real estate agents, they are doing it day in, uh, day out, right? They understand their local patch, the local market. Yes. But at the same time, they're also advocating for a skewed uh, result, right? Their job is to provide the highest possible valuation to to the vendor. So I'm I'm guessing in certain jurisdictions you mentioned Victoria. I think um, having to provide uh, those comparables, but I presume they're trying to massage in ones that aren't going to get them in trouble because they are still comparable, but perhaps not the optimum comparable that someone like you might put at a particular property. Is that fair to say? That, I, I would agree, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and I haven't done too much in Victoria, but um, but that example, yeah, there were three. I mentioned that two weren't great. They're, they're in the close location, but a quick search on you know, realestate.com, I found a couple that I thought were better comparable, mm. closer in terms of land size, bedrooms and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that uh, there's a fine line there. Um and they're, they're acting in the seller's interest. Of course, the buyer's agent's acting in the buyer's interest. So, um, yeah, both, you know, are going to have their bias, I guess. But um, I always just, you know, just look at, you know, completely unbiased approach, look at the, you know, the features and features of the property, location of the property, you know, make, ideally it's sold recently, um, similar construction, uh, obviously, you go back to the land, similar zoning, mm. um, land size, uh, side of the streets, important street appeal, things like that. Um, 
to get those sorts of things as, as similar as possible. And then, of course, you've got the, the bedrooms, bathrooms and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's a hard one, and that's, that's, that's why I think um, it's, it's, you know, I, I take your point and some people can't afford a buyer's agent, but, but hopefully if you can't afford a buyer's agent, for hopefully this podcast is helpful to those people that they see the, the, the um, downsides of using um, the online tools and also just understand um, the difference between the buyer and buyer's agent and the seller's agent and, and the, the motivations and, and responsibilities. Mm. I, I've sort of cautioned people um, from giving too much information to the selling agent. It's a, it's a nice little dance, but when the selling agent says, oh, look, I'll help you find this next property, I think we should all consider, well, what they're wanting is a database of buyers, um, legitimate, of course, but um, to be able to say to that next potential listing, I've already got people that meet this, this type of property. They're not really independently out there hunting for you in the same way as that a buyer's agent would, right? No, absolutely. So, you know, I don't know about other buyer's agents, but, you know, for the for my typical client, my sort of average time frame out there looking, hunting, talking to agents, um, researching, et cetera, sort of, you know, just over the, around the two-month sort of mark. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, sometimes, you know, it can, can be countless hours online, but, but many, many inspections before you find the one that sort of, suits sometimes it can be quicker but sometimes it can take a long time um Mm. yeah that's what the buyer's agent is doing you're out there um, doing all that due diligence and and operating in the 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 buyer's best interest to make sure that you find one that's perfect for them Mm. Uh, but yeah you're right the real estate agent's just well wants that database and to build that database of buyers because that is a marketing tool for them to the seller of course (laughs) yes Um, Yeah, not to say there aren't genuine agents, of course, there's good and bad in in every industry, but uh, to me it always comes back to sort of the incentive and the financial contract that you've signed that points to where you are providing your value and the selling agents aren't providing it to the buyer, they're they're providing it to the seller. Nigel, before we wrap up, back on the subject on um, these automated valuations because we've covered uh, some lateral ground as well which is i've enjoyed that conversation but is there anything else that you think people need to know when it comes to the avms when it comes to the sort of public's reliance on it and how people can get a good idea about what the fair value is because they want to get a bargain or because they want to pay market price or they're prepared to buy over but they don't want to pay more than they need to yeah um Look, I guess the, the, the big things for me with the AVMs, um, yeah, is to to use them, but, you know, um, just take, I guess, take the number with a, a grain of salt. Um, that's, you know, for me, in, when working out what to pay for a property, the data and, techno- data and technology is hugely important, and I use that a lot, um, and I use the AVMs a lot. Um, but there's an awful lot an AVM can't do and it's that human element and I think it's a long time before an AVM can replace that. Um, so people should do their due diligence, um, inspect the properties, understand what's going on in the, the street, the suburb, you know. Um, it's, um, you're probably, you know, similar age to me, Mike, you probably remember the, the movie The Castle. Mm. I can summarise it. It's, you know, Dale Kerrigan's lawyer is in there, um, um, his closing argument to the judge is, you know, it's all about the vibe, 
Um, and I think it is when you be it when you're looking at a property, you get the data and you look at all that and you get numbers from AVMs and CMAs, whatever. But then when you go into that suburb, when you go into that street and when you walk into the property itself, it's all about the vibe. And sometimes properties can look amazing online and you think, oh, yeah, this would be a great place to buy. The street looks great. And then you go there and you know within five seconds, and I liken it to a relationship, you know, when you, if you're dating and you meet someone, within 30 seconds, you know, Within 10 seconds, you know if, if there's a connection. And I think mm. it's the same with property. You don't, there is a physical connection to it. It's about, it's about the vibe. It's the vibe. You know, <laughs> that's, my, that's my closing remark. It's about the vibe. Yeah, I, I have my case. Uh, <laughs> I love that because we're, we're talking about, you know, sort of almost like the height of tech in these valuation models, but we're also kind of looking at, well, where do they fall down? And, and vibe is an obvious one. How do you, how do you teach a robot about vibe? How do you teach an algorithm that's not aware of that it is an algorithm about vibe? Right? Exactly. I'm, I'm sure they will, like in a few years with AI going the way it is, I'm sure they will there'll be a vibe feature plugged into these algorithms, but at the moment that there just isn't. And that's where a human, um, that's the huge benefit of a human is we add the vibe. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing you now in like a tie-dyed T-shirt, you know, flashing the pizza, the peace signs at these uh, these open homes, right? But no, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, the, the vibe is kind of an, an esoteric thing, but it, it, the vibe is all about, you know, the local community, the feeling of the, the neighbours, you know, the, the, the soundscape, you know, the breeze, all, all these things yeah. that um, do have an influence on value but can't be programmed into something that's coming up with that value. Absolutely. And a yeah, classic case, I went into one on the weekend and it was um, the yeah, be beautiful home, absolutely beautiful um, home. Um, the, the inspection was 9am in the morning. I'm pretty sure if you went there after midday, there would be zero light. <laughs> right. You know, just because of the, the way it sat, there was, there was a um, club next door to it on one, one side of the street and because of the way it had surrounding verandas, verandas and massive trees. But it got the sun in the morning, but after midday, I don't think it'll get any sun in that property at all. And mm. you know, some people are happy with that, but... Um, that, that's another element to the vibe is the vibe, um, which you just don't get. Yeah. Perhaps you have to be sort of some Scandinavian that lives with three months of darkness and you'd fit right in, right? But for most of us, we like a little bit of vitamin D. That's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, vibe's important. <laughs> I, I love that. I think that's a great way to, to end, Nigel. Thanks very much for, for, for sharing uh, those insights today and uh, I'm sure people get a lot, lot out of that. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Take care, bye. Cheers.